I was standing on the snow-covered ground, staring across a large river. It was April in Maine. The banks held ice and the flow was fast. My stomach growled, void of food for hours. Shivers pulsed through my body and fear paralyzed my mind. Even though my body was weak and my muscles ached, I had no choice. It was time to cross the river. I stripped naked, saving the dry layers for warmth if I survived and took two deep breaths. Cold seeped through my legs, but I was committed to the water. The pit in my stomach deepened. I moved further. Shock gave way to numbness. Cold chilled my emaciated frame. My naked body stood waist deep, but I had made little progress. The bank looked so far away. Water slapped my chest and my heart shuddered. Another step, but the ground was gone. I sank into the deep. My arms flailed in panic before my body instinctively leaned into my backpack. I was moving downstream fast. The current grabbed hold, moving quicker than my mind could think. I started to panic. My bearings were off. Where had I come from? Which bank was I trying to get to? I screamed in desperation and my body lost all sensation. I moved motionless downstream, strapped to a 30 pound backpack. I was helpless. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and today I am here with Jeff Garmeyer. Jeff Garmeyer, only 30 years old, but has already backpacked over 30,000 miles since 2011. It all began with a 55-pound backpack at the start of the Pacific Crest Trail, and from there, he was hooked. His first through hike led to a second shortly after college, and then even when he began his career, he started looking for ways to explore nature in the world. A few notable achievements are 15 speed records on long distance hiking trails, the calendar year triple crown, the Great Western Loop, and climbing all 58 of Colorado's 14,000 peaks. His book, Free Outside, shares his journey completing the triple crown, which means through hiking the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail in one year through four seasons. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, pretty cool to get to talk about backpacking even, even just digitally. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so talk about that excerpt that you read in the beginning. What is that? What is it? Yeah, that's uh, an excerpt from my my book that I wrote about the calendar year Triple Crown. And it's probably one of, it's sort of that that event in my life where I wish I hadn't done it, but because of events that led up to it, I kind of found myself in this place where I had to swim across the frozen river because I was out of food and three miles across the river was uh, my next resupply. And so this was in Maine um, on the Appalachian trail in, I believe uh, early April and uh, the Kennebec river. And usually there's a ferry service for hikers across it that hike the Appalachian trail. But since I was there so early, the ferry wasn't running yet. So my only um, way across the river was to swim it. Um, although I found out later, I probably could have set up a ferry if I had been, um, if I had planned it out and uh, called ahead or something. But either way, made it through and uh, you're still just, alive. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I know what being cold and having being driven to one goal really is. I think that that probably pinpoints the most focus I've ever had in my life where you leave one bank and all you have to do is get to the other bank. So nothing else matters. It's just basically swimming and feeling with your feet until you finally hit the rocks on the other side and climbing out, throwing all your clothes back on and trying to get warm again. Oh my God. How did you, I, okay. First I have so many questions. <laughs> How did you keep your stuff dry? Yeah. So, um, great question. So since I was hiking in the winter, I had a lot of like dry bags and stuff within my backpack. So I stripped naked so that I would have all dry and warm clothes on the other side. So, because once, if you go in water in your clothing, you know, it soon becomes the same temperature as the water. So it was like, well, at least I'll have all these dry layers when I'm across. So I guess if I hadn't made it, someone would have found like some super skinny naked dude washed up on the side of the, the, oh the river, God. which would have been quite a sight. <laughs> did you, did you know how deep it was or did you just take that risk? Um, I didn't know how deep it was. It wasn't maybe a oh hundred feet you're wide. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I walked out into it because it was initially like, well, I'll just walk out to like waist deep and see how it is. And then of course, how I am once I was that far, it's like, I am just going to go for it. It's a lot harder to get out of the water and get back in. So yeah, I just went for it and <laughs> yeah, made it out alive. How did you not get hypothermia? <laughs> um, I think it's because it was such a short period of time, maybe total time in the water and without clothes on. I mean, it feels like an hour, but it was probably five to 10 minutes at most. And then I had all these layers to put on, on the other side. And then within the hour, I was at this little tiny, um, I guess store where I'd mailed a package. So I had food and was warming up in that store. So, oh. um, it was all, <laughs> all calculated and in, in kind of the roughest calculations possible. in itself just crossing the river with no clothes on you're naked and all your stuff is like in dry bag like I can't imagine going into that store and then just experiencing that and everyone else is like living their normal life that must be so strange yeah well even on a smaller level like I climbed out of the river and just like sat down because I was I mean physically tired but like emotionally spent of just focusing so hard on one thing that I just had to, even though I was hungry, cold, tired, I just had to sit down on a rock for a few minutes just to like get my mind back in place to even move forward because it just felt like, <clears throat> it's almost like when you're thinking of something in the future and then it finally arrives after that, you're sort of like, well, what do I do now? That's kind of how it felt in like this really condensed period of time. And it's like fight or flight. Like it's literally like you mm -hmm. were in survival mode where I need to get to the other side to not die. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, couldn't even get, I could, couldn't get food until I crossed the river. I couldn't, uh, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't keep hiking, couldn't do anything. It was in my path. So I kept going. <laughs> oh my God. You're crazy. Also amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.
<laughs> so people are going to listen to this and some people who listen to my podcast are just travelers and travelers yeah. in a way that's not adventure oriented. What is a through hiker? Explain from your words what a through hiker means. Yeah, through hiker is hiking one complete trail in one season, usually in one push, but of course you can break it up or something. So the Pacific Crest Trail, for example, goes from the Mexican border to the Canadian border, and through hiking that is hiking the entire thing straight through, whereas people section hike it where they do, I don't know, 100 miles each year for however many years to try to complete it. But of course, through hiking, there's shorter trails, longer trails, there's all types of trails. So like the Tahoe Rim Trail is 180 miles, and that's a common one to do. So basically it's just backpacking an entire trail is through hiking. I love that. Thank you. Okay. So from a through hiker's perspective, what does travel mean to you? I think it's like the best way to put life and yourself in perspective. And I've traveled beyond uh, just backpacking as well. And I lived in Costa Rica for a couple months and nice. I think there's a difference between a vacation and travel. When you vacation, you get to go and I guess let loose and just like relax and not worry about anything. But I think of travel as more you're going somewhere and you're sort of melding and becoming part of the culture or the, the place you're at or the situation or, and you're embracing more of being there, whereas a vacation might be more of an all-inclusive resort and it's just your your chance to get away and do something different but i think of travel as a lot more you get to experience something new because of a destination or a place you're at or how you're doing it versus just going somewhere which is more of a vacation do you like to go on vacation or do you <laughs> i don't even know i don't think i've been on like a real vacation <laughs> in a long time it's i think of it as when you travel to somewhere, why would you want kind of the same culture that you just came from, which especially internationally, there's places catered towards Americans, which have a very American feel and everything. But why would you want that if you just came from that? So in Costa Rica, I spent about 10 days traveling around experiencing it. And then I landed on the Caribbean side and decided I wanted to stay there for a few weeks. So I just looked up um, on Airbnb and went and knocked on some of the doors and just made them like a cash deal to stay there for like a couple weeks for however much amount of money. And then they just, they agreed. And then I just literally stayed there and became the person who's trying to be a part of the local culture versus like trying to latch on to tourists who are similar to myself. So yeah, I just really like jumping straight into things like that and learning from people that you meet along the way as well. I like to travel this way as well. If I'm going somewhere, I really like to be uncomfortable, which is probably why we like hiking and backpacking yeah. and stuff because uh -huh. I, I don't know what it is. I hate going to a resort. Don't get me wrong. It's fine, you know, but if I had a preference, like I would, it's like far leaning the other way where I would rather feel uncomfortable, be immersed in something. And then there's something about when you're hiking or backpacking that's, I was just talking about this the other day. 
it forces you to be present because you're thinking mm-hmm. about how to get to the final. You're get you're thinking about like right now and like I need to cross that river, and you're not thinking about everything else. There's like no noise. So yeah. Yeah, I like that the goals are so solidified and hiking and backpacking. It's sort of like I need to or I'd like to cover this amount of distance or I'd like to climb this peak or I need to get this far in this amount of days. It's so simple as opposed to real life where it's sort of like, well, I could do some emails or some work or I could jump on social media. It's like there's so many distractions that take away from any of the goals that that we probably really want to adopt but just all the distractions make it hard to even emphasize the goals that actually mean a lot to us yes and then it's it's like brings you back to your your simplest of needs food Mm -hmm. you know like not to be in pain you know or just like how to get past pain (laughs) yeah you know breathing you know you're just thinking about the simplest of your needs and you're not thinking about i need this car or i need this house or anything you're just i'm like right now i just need to i'm hungry i'm tired i need to find a place to sleep you know yeah yeah i love thinking about it in the sense that like so many people get dehydrated or don't drink that much water in real life but when you're like out hiking or running in the mountains and you're thirsty and you finally come to where you can drink like that water tastes so good that you would you'd give up so many things just to have that that sip of water that it just emphasizes how much more the little things mean when you're out there versus in all the comforts of a house <laughs> exactly exactly and especially if it's a natural spring I love mm-hmm. drinking out of a natural spring. You know it's clean or, you know, I'm not yeah. endorsing it, but, <laughs> but I've drank out of a natural spring without like yep. cleaning it or whatever. And it's just like the sweetest tasting water because you worked hard for it, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's so true. It's 100% different, even if it's the same water. It right? just tastes better. Yep. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so tell me why you started this journey into the backpacking world like what was it that made you go down from i'm just hiking this simple thing or i'm backpacking for a day or two to i'm gonna do the triple crown (laughs) that's yeah i think it's a (laughs) i'm like i'm trying to understand you (laughs) i want to know yeah i think it's a long journey i think with with so many things but so when i was 16 uh, my family uh, we were all out on just a day hike, I believe. And we met a couple of people, a couple that was hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. And so that was pretty cool. We talked to them and then we brought them back to our family cabin and fed them. And I just remember how much they ate and it was, it was pretty funny, but that, so that was kind of the introduction to that existing in the world. Then three years later, I was in the midst of college, having the typical wondering what I, if I really want to be this when I grow up. So I took off spring term of college and told my parents I was going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And by the way, I was starting in two weeks. So I just <laughs> cobbled together everything I could, no knowledge of anything. I And then my my backpack was an external frame pack that weighed 55 pounds. Oh and it my was God. so heavy. It was so heavy that the frame actually broke under all that weight. So I, um, but just through the experience, met so many 
friends out there that helped me piece together some gear that was going to work a lot better. And um, I finished it. But during that hike, there's so much time to think. And it's like every day is completely yours, however you want to spend it mentally and stuff like that. So that's when I had heard about what the Triple Crown is and hiking the three major long distance trails in America. And I just kind of thought through that. And that's where the idea kind of hatched in my mind. I never thought I would do it. And then from there, just life circumstances. And eventually I really found myself in a place where the company I was working for was splitting apart and I was going to go with um, one of the sides of the company. But I was sort of like, well, I think I want to hike this, this trail for the next nine months. Like, can I, do you think I could just come back when I'm done with it or, or whatever? And, and it worked out so that, uh, it was kind of going to be a soft place to land if I wanted it to be. And, uh, yeah, then that whole trip was planned. <clears throat> and Wait, so did you I'm go very- back to work? Yeah. After that, I, I was trying to make it without going back into the kind of corporate finance and accounting field, but I, I wasn't able to that time around. So I went back to work after the calendar year triple crown, but um, yeah, it's, it, it really is one of those things like it's stepping stones. Like you can't, I don't think I would have known about the triple crown unless I'd done the Pacific crest trail. And I don't think I would have met all the friends that I did without having a ridiculous size pack and being noticed (laughs) by everyone. And them thinking, wow, he must be pretty tough if he's willing to hike with all that junk. So um, I think it really is just all these little things led to to the big things, which really just are kind of pieces of the puzzle. I want to talk about that first time you heard about the Pacific Crest Trail with those with those people. Yeah. What was your view and what were you thinking and and what were you Try, I, like I'm trying to wrap my head around what it felt like for you and what made you decide, okay, I do want to do that. You know, what was it about them that attracted you? So growing up, we always used to go on weekend backpacking trips where we'd hike in like three miles and stay for three days and just like catch crawdads and fish in the lakes and stuff. So but it I ran in your know- family. A li- yeah, the outdoors definitely did. But I didn't know there was this longer style of backpacking or through hiking I thought all backpacking was you hike three miles to a lake and fish for the weekend but meeting the people on the Pacific Crest Trail that's where it made sense that these people were out for months at a time and it was just their life it wasn't like backpacking was a break from their life it's like their life had become backpacking for these four months and I don't I don't know if I thought that was cool, weird, or interesting, or whatever at the time. I just remember that it was a different way of thinking about it. I do remember noticing how much food they ate, and especially (laughs) the the man was like just scooping mayonnaise onto his hamburger, and it was like, oh my gosh, we're going to run out of food here. But (laughs) So that's what I do remember. I love how you just remember this mayonnaise and you're just staring at this man starving. We put a silverware out and there's like a knife and a spoon and he goes for the spoon and then just starts shoveling the mayonnaise onto like everything. (laughs) And he was like, 
man, have these people ever eaten before? (laughs) (laughs) Cut back to you like years later and you're just like, yes, the mayonnaise like shoving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know exactly how that goes on the Appalachian Trail the same trail as that crossing of that river, I actually got kicked out of an all-you-can-eat buffet. So I fully oh, no. get the how much you can Stop. eat. Yeah, You did yep. not. I did. It was Waynesboro, Virginia. And um, yeah, I went in at 2 p.m. I ate solidly through until about 5.15. And they told me I had to leave because the dinner rush was coming and I was still eating. Oh. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody getting kicked out of an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it yeah. is kind of nice they did because I probably would have eaten until I couldn't move. But still, it was pretty strange. Like, they brought the check while I was still eating and just was like, yeah, you need to leave. The dinner rush is coming soon. <laughs> They're like, please, sir, you have to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're smelly. You're just sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god okay so that's that's pretty funny did you ever have any fears when you first started oh yeah yeah I think uh multiple times so when I first started the Pacific Crest Trail that first night did not sleep well because every little movement the sound of the wind all the rustling branches all those were like like creature forest creatures that were ready to attack me at least in my mind when in reality is probably just wind and maybe an occasional bird but everything felt so scary that first night and I always try to keep that in perspective because now I've probably slept in a tent a full three years of my life or something so it's easy for me to be comfortable and just like rolling out a pad and sleeping under the stars and not worrying about anything But I do try to keep in perspective that moment back then where it's like everything was scary. Everything was new. And this also happened again in 2014 when I was hiking in grizzly bear country for the first time. Even though I was comfortable backpacking, it's this whole new level of there are actual monsters out in these woods I'm walking in. So the anxiety was right back up to like it was my first day of hiking. Have you ever ran into a grizzly bear? Yeah, I got charged by one in the Bob no. Marshall Wilderness in Montana. Yeah. Oh, my it was a God. bluff charge, but they a bluff charge you don't know is a bluff charge until they don't attack you. So right. I had my bear spray ready to go, but um, the grizzly pulled up short before I had to hope that a little pepper spray would do anything. Oh, my God. So wait, you were did you surprise him or did you, was he following you? Cause you yeah, know, the it was, bears hunt, like they'll follow you for mm-hmm. a little bit. It was a mother with two cubs <clears throat> and I came around the corner and um, the mama mom's head was in the bushes and the two um, cubs were next door and the cubs, she heard me walking up or smelled me, pulled her head out and the cubs took off into the bushes away from me. And she ran at me, which in retrospect was probably just a bluff charge to give her cubs time to run away. But yeah, it was so scary. I had my uh, bear spray and the water bottle holder. So I pulled it out and had it ready to go. And she ran up within 20, 25 feet or so got up on her hind legs, sniffed around, put her feet back down and then crashed through the brush away. And it was (laughs) 
so weird but to put some humor in it in within a hundred it's terrifying <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> yeah so i was like adrenaline skyrocketed like the fight or flight thing and you know luckily the the bear ran away and then about a hundred yards later i passed these two mules that were tied up <clears throat> turns out they were hunters mules but i didn't see the hunters and so i was so worked up that i just started just word vomiting about this story telling the mules about the bear that had uh like charged me and then i just yeah the mules and they're just not paying me any mind and then a hundred feet behind them are the hunters and then i look over as i get closer and it's like okay this is weird and then i just like kept walking so the hunters had just seemed like a very hairy skinny guy talk to their mules not say a word to them and then just scamper off so it was (laughs) I was, it was a very weird moment. <laughs> I'm sure they still talk about you to this day. <laughs> yeah. Like, remember that guy mumbling about a grizzly bear to our mules? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is so funny. Oh yeah. That, yeah. The weirdness now I understand. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like when something really monumental happens in your life, you always feel like you need to tell someone and with no cell service out there, it was like, Oh, just tell these mules. And then it's like, okay, that's pretty weird looking back on it. (laughs) Where you're like, hey, mules, this is what happened to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This bear almost killed me. (laughs) Yeah. It was along the lines of, you won't believe what just happened. Like a bear (laughs) just charged me and I'm staring right into the mule's eyes. It's so weird. (laughs) The mule's just like, all right, man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is so funny. Oh, my God. Were there any other challenges that you faced, like other than a grizzly bear almost killing you, your river situation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's everything has challenges. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely lonesomeness. I had some tendonitis, Achilles tendonitis, just from all those miles of hiking. Um, I've been charged by a moose as well, which is interesting. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think a little bit of everything, uh, losing gear, just frustration when things are difficult. Uh, yeah, it's just such a raw version because you're basically stripping yourself down, um, by physical effort and then emotionally as well, since you, it's pretty much you and you have to deal with everything yourself. So you just get to that raw level and physically issues come up emotionally issues mentally it's uh yeah it's it's a really good way to get to know yourself and also a good way to get to know what frustrates you about yourself as well (laughs) you lost gear yeah yeah so like um in the snow in maine there's uh like micro spikes i'm not sure if you know what they are there yeah so they're for walking on like ice and snow and there were probably three feet of snow i was tracking through through this one notch in maine and uh i started climbing up the ice on the other side and one of my feet was slipping and then pull it out of the giant um or the deep snow and one of my micro spikes is off my foot so from there i'm trying to climb up with traction only on one foot and basically just slick rubber on the other and yeah, all kinds of little things, even from I lost a, 
a spoon, which is basically how I would eat my dinner. Oh, so no. I, I made a spoon out of a tent steak and uh, a little bit of just uh, like foil. So yeah, make a spoon. So it's basically like there's not a gas station or anything to to fix all your problems. So you look within your pack and figure out how you can remedy the situation with what you have. <laughs> oh my God, that is insane. I can't believe that you went up with just like one micro spike, like crazy. Yeah, That's it crazy. was just like inching forward and doing it sideways and trying to slam one foot in and then just kind of hop up to the next spot to stand. Oh my God. Uh, I read your book, right? I started reading cool. your book. Yeah. 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 And uh, I love it, by the way. I'm listening to it on Audible. I listen to like books all the time. And yeah. did you say that you only had a tarp? Yeah, I only had a tarp for about a third. So for most of the winter, I only had a tarp. Yeah. As his shelter. Yep. That's what he's saying, everyone. He's saying he had a tarp as a shelter. I literally like my (laughs) my mouth dropped and I was like, wait, what? And I had to rewind (laughs) and I was like, no, he definitely said he only had a tarp for shelter for this crazy endeavor Mm -hmm. we're doing. Yeah, because it's so much about less weight offers more mobility. And um, yeah, a tarp, basically, it's just like it sounds just a single piece of just basically sill nylon or waterproof fabric and set it up between my two trekking poles and not even a floor in there. So I have to lay out clothing or even provide a floor. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then, so you did that for a third of the Appalachian or the whole? Yeah, about most of the Appalachian trail. And then in New England, when it was getting Cold. more snowy and um i switched to a tent but and then also <clears throat> during the bug season with mosquitoes i used a tent as well since since a tarp is wide open you just get eaten alive by mosquitoes if you yeah. didn't have a bug net <laughs> yeah and that's the thing i was thinking about bugs and snow i know i've backpacked into certain areas and have gotten eaten alive you know, the yeah. moment I come out of my tent, I'm eaten alive. Like, they, yeah. like they're yeah. biting my face, you know? So I just can't imagine. So, yeah, that that makes me feel a little bit more calm about your tarp situation. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, how did you do it? Yeah, and mosquitoes are the worst because you'll get oh. bitten a few times and then you'll have, like, phantom bites where you'll, like, slap your arm or something and it's like nothing's there, but they're yes. just driving you crazy. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I went – have you ever done Big Pine? Big Pine? I don't think so. Where's that? Oh, my God. You have to do Big Pine. It's just a quick – for you, it's like a quick little thing. It's like a quick weekend trip, a day hike. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in, in California, and it's in the Sierras area, you know, up in the okay. Sierras. And it looks like you're in the Alps. Because the oh, water okay. is like blue. It's so amazing. But I went there during mosquito oh. season. So it was gorgeous. <laughs> like, wow, look at these, uh, this alpine lake with these, you know, these crags and, and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I was getting eaten alive. Like the moment you came out of the tent, they were just like, like right to your face, your face. Oh. They were horrible. <laughs> so Yeah, no, I definitely know the feeling. I dove in my tent in Oregon and was going to cook inside of it, but I lit up my stove and it burned right through the top of my tent <laughs> and the mosquitoes started pouring in. So that's a 
probably my worst mosquito story where it was just like I was trying my best to avoid them and I burned a <laughs> hole in my tent and they started flying right in. Oh, no. <laughs> so when when things like that happen, obviously, when you get to your resupply area, for those of you who don't know what resupply is, like places where along these long through hikes, you resupply your supplies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what you would do. You would get like a new tent or something or, or have somebody. Yeah. Um, well, in the moment, it's really just kind of a when you lose something, trying to find the next way to do it. So I duct taped up the hole okay. with the duct tape that I had to get me to the next location where I could repair it and uh, have more supplies. But yeah, the mosquitoes weren't going to stop. So no. <laughs> the best I could do was throw some duct tape on it and and try to get as many of them as I could out of the tent. So you bring duct tape with you? That's really Yeah, cool. so um, I bring trekking poles, and then I have duct tape wrapped around the trekking pole. So it's kind of like, it's pretty right. accessible. So, because, well, now I guess like Gorilla Tape or um, Tenacious Tape or better forms of duct tape, but um, same type of thing. It's, it's kind of the fix-all. It can fix anything to a level that, makes it usable it's not like a great long-term fix but it's one of those things that's nice to have uh handy no matter what yeah i have i still have my <clears throat> duct taped i went and climbed mount whitney and uh yeah. they always they always tell you to like leave your tent open because the marmots will eat through your tent to yep. get inside <laughs> your tent so i left it open thinking and i had a marmot tent by the way <laughs> oh ironic yeah ironically enough <laughs> The marmot yeah. did not care that the door was open. He was going to eat through my tent anyway. He <laughs> ate through the side of my tent. I come back. Oh, and no. This... Yeah, so I still have it duct tape. Duct tape still works. And it's been years, so <laughs> it works. Yeah, <laughs> yep. That's that's all it takes. Yeah, I actually glued some more mesh onto mine, but duct tape lasted for a while. <laughs> right? I'm saying. Okay, so what is the most valuable thing you've learned while doing what you're doing? I'm going to cheat and say two things. One is to like double check and make sure you're bringing everything that you're comfortable bringing. And the second is when you're out there is being able to assess what you have with you to solve any problem. So it's just like the duct tape type of thing. When mm -hmm. um, a problem arises, when I was scrambling up, something rolled onto my hand and cut a piece of my uh, finger off to the bone. And I basically <laughs> had duct tape and some ointment and that's about it so I cleaned it up as best I could duct taped it shut to try to have some compression on it but it was such a thing about like well this happened I'm pretty far from anything how can I use what I have to remedy the situation so it's checking first that I'm entering the backcountry with all the things that can pretty much help me get through any situation and then Beyond that, knowing how to use them. Another example is it was in the Smokies in Tennessee and it dropped to like negative 10 and my gloves were simply not warm enough. So I needed a way to insulate my hands. So I had a few extra plastic bags for that meals, I had packaged meals in. So I put those over the top of my gloves and it provided just enough insulation with the plastic, just holding the heat in that I could make it to my next resupply location in town where I bought some mittens but yeah just knowing how to work with what you have and being creative as well how do you have the endurance like 
your mental endurance because obviously your physical endurance is incredible because I couldn't I mean <laughs> but your mental endurance yeah yeah I think it's really it's just like anything it's practice like the first night I couldn't even be mentally comfortable because of all the little sounds I heard while camping out there but as time went on I soon would sleep even better outside than inside type of thing. So it really is practice and a comfort level. And then when you're comfortable with kind of the baseline, then those situations where um, you get hurt or some, you see an animal or something, then you're just rising above the baseline rather than always being at like some amount of an anxiety level. So I think just kind of adapting to that. And there's always going to be moments where like, you're frustrated or it's difficult or it's scary. But if overall the situation is comfortable, I think it's a lot easier to not be mentally exhausted and trying to deal with every little thing all the time. Yeah. Cause it had to have gotten emotional at some point, you know? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating in something where you have such a long distance to cover in, I don't know, some amount of time. So like 8,000 miles over nine months, if there's a day where you're struggling to hit miles or you aren't going to make it to your next resupply before you run out of food, those are huge moments where it's really easily easy to spiral out of control mentally or emotionally. And it's just trying to kind of focus on that it's just one day out of 250 or it's not that big a deal to go half a day without food. So there's it's really like so many moments in life where you can choose how to react to kind of the stimulation and what's happening. And, you know, I'm, there's definitely been times where I've reacted in a very frustrated manner, as opposed to just seeing it for what it is, is just a small challenge seemingly that is just exploded in my mind because it's piling on top of so many other things. And I'm already in such a vulnerable state. So interesting. I love hearing through hikers and how they get through all of that, both mentally and physically. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's your most fulfilling moment during your treks or hikes or any of your travels? I think, yeah, that's the beauty of it is I don't think it's one that you know before you're having it. So sometimes you'll just work really hard to climb up a couple thousand feet to the top of a ridge line. And then you just look out over something that's incredible, just like a natural beauty or a beautiful scene. And that's where you feel like the happiest and luckiest person in the world. So I think that's why it's so fulfilling and why I enjoy it so much is I couldn't tell you where I need to go and what I need to climb and what I need to see to see it. But when I'm doing it, it will happen. You just don't know when, like it's, it's that moment that's a surprise, but also fulfilling at the same time. So a couple of them that I've had is, uh, climbing up in the Sierras, the Sierra Nevada mountains, uh, climbing up Glen pass and just looking over Ray lakes and seeing the checkerboard of ice with the sun reflecting off it. And that's when it's, like maybe 10 minutes before I would have been frustrated and post holding up to my knees, but you get up there and then it just becomes this 
moment of gratitude where you're so you're so thankful you can be in that situation so glad you fought through everything and i think just getting enough of those moments really are the reason that you want to go back and keep doing it ray lakes is amazing oh yeah it's It's so so beautiful beautiful. so beautiful (laughs) i'm sure you've met a lot of people tell me your most meaningful person you have met while you've been traveling Whoa. Um, wow. That's a good one. Um, so there, there's this, uh, I met this man when I was on the Pacific crest trail the first time right around when my backpack broke. So I was 20 years old at this time. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just trying to carry 55 pounds and the backpack (laughs) broke. And so his trail name was Lil Buddha because he, he looked like Buddha and he had a shaved head and pretty funny. But he immediately, after, of course, just making fun of me a little bit, was nice enough to help me figure out how to piece together some gear. So he picked through the um, hiker box where there was some discarded gear that people didn't need anymore. And he there was this backpack there and it was in rough shape, but between him and I, we sewed it up with dental floss enough to get through the Sierra Nevada mountains. And he helped me downsize all my gear. He forced me to put my extra clothing in a box and mail it home. And it just was so helpful to get this sort of tough love type of situation where he, he basically was like, well, this is not a sustainable way and this isn't going to work. Your pack literally already broke. So we're going to do the best we can and get you through the Sierra. And then um, another hiker sent a spare pack up north to Mammoth Mammoth Lakes. And that's really where you fall in love with the community is everyone taking care of each other and and helping, you know, get to that end goal of, of Canada, which really quickly doesn't become the goal because the goal is just enjoying it out there and it's actually sad when it's over. It's not like, yay, we made it to Canada at that moment. It's like, oh, how do we do this again someday? <laughs> That's what I've heard from a lot of through hikers. Like you get to your end point and then you go, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that yeah. was amazing. Now what do I do? So yeah. something. Yeah. Know. I kind of imagine it's like hearing people that retire it's like you work your whole life to retire then you retire and you're like now what we did it but what do we do (laughs) so yeah it's just this moment where you're like well this was the reason for us having all that fun but it's not like we actually wanted to accomplish it at this time we wanted it to just keep going (laughs) and that's why you ended up doing all of those other ones I think you ended up getting obsessed I think so too yeah addicted to it (laughs) Yep. <laughs> what is the most valuable thing that you've learned? Uh, flexibility. I think, yeah, it's easy to have a plan and have something go wrong and then feel like the plan is ruined. Whereas kind of being able to adopt or find a new place. So, so an example would be if I'm entering a section of trail where I think I'll be faster than I am, but soon a day and a half in or something, there's a bunch of snow or something, or I'm much slower. It's having that flexibility to be like, well, I can go out and resupply at this town as opposed to trying to push through and running out of food. But I will say with that flexibility, it's been kind of a, a lesson to learn to when 
you need to be rigid and when you need to be flexible, like Balance. climbing some of the, yeah, exactly. Climbing and you've done Mount Whitney and climbing some of the mountains and stuff. There are moments where if you let yourself have too much flexibility and leeway, it kind of gets into that zone where it's like summit fever or something where it's like, Oh, it's taking too long. We probably should turn around or like in Colorado, it's like, there's a thunderstorm. I shouldn't be going up to this peak, even though like I'm so close. So it's, it's that flexibility, but also that ability to be um, strict with yourself and just kind of uh change your goals or or not let really the the initial reason for success like a summit or something really dictate how the adventure goes yeah it's true when you're climbing or hiking or backpacking you got to remember that yes you should be flexible because things are going to go wrong Mm -hmm. most likely especially if you're going on a long long through hike but also knowing that nature is powerful and having respect for the mountain. <laughs> yeah, way Especially more powerful summits. than we are. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it'll yep. put you it'll humble you straight away if you think otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, it's not conquering nature or conquering mountains. It's it's just getting to the top of them when when you're allowed pretty much. Right. And and also just like having the understanding that you need you're not necessarily conquering yes you are but also you have to remember that you're also trying to live within what's already mm-hmm. in place so yeah you're part of it more so than yep. anything how to how to learn to be part of it yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it's more i think a lot of them are more experiences than actual achievements just because when i say the calendar year triple crown it's like that's fine. But within that, there's all these stories we get to talk about, which are experiences. We're not, we haven't even talked about like getting to the end of any of them because that's not that cool. It's all the little things that happen along the way. So even if you don't get a summit, you get that experience. It's still a great story to tell where it's like, oh, it snowed like a foot and we turned around and (laughs) waded through the snow because, and we're safe, but like, that's the responsible way. And you learn so much when you focus on each experience. What was your favorite experience thus far? That's hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your favorite hike, your favorite thing that you've done. I love doing routes. So there's this route called Nolan's 14 in Colorado, which links up 14 different 14,000 foot peaks. And there's Ooh. not much of a trail. So about it's a hundred, about a hundred miles long and there's, maybe 10 miles of trail total and the rest is completely route finding. And so linking those up was so rewarding because it combined like experience and endurance and mental toughness and pushing through while also having route finding issues. It just combined a lot of the skills that have slowly grown as I've done more things and got to do and experience more places and things. And it really was a good both test and way to stretch my mind in more ways than simply a hike or simply a summit or a backpacking trip that I really liked all the layers and different facets of that, that adventure. Did you go by yourself? Yeah, I actually did it as part oh of <laughs> um, the Great Western Loop. So it's near this fish hatchery near Leadville, Colorado. And I was there and it was like, 
well, I've already always wanted to do this. I'm just going to go for it and see what happens and was able to be successful. There was uh, very little sleeping that took place and just pushed through because there's a, it's kind of an ultra running challenge where you try to do it in under 60 hours. So with my wow. full backpack, I uh, was full through hiking backpack. I was able to do it in 59 hours and 33 minutes. So I, I made it just in time. Oh my God. Wow. That is crazy. Okay. So if somebody wants to do that, yeah. the Great Western Loop or that trail, like what are your tips and tricks from 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 someone like you? <laughs> yeah. So much experience. It's a good question. I think first you have to have enough experience, not in simply the knowing how to backpack, but the experience is to know that you're going to love it because you can't be out there for seven months or, or be pushing hard for many hours straight if you don't love it. So it's the backpacking experience, all that is great, but you do have to just really enjoy it or else it's miserable. And you should go on one of the all-inclusive resort things and there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think forcing something that you don't enjoy is a productive way. So I'd say overall in all these things that take place in nature, it's, it is hard. Hiking is hard. And sometimes there's down moments and it's frustrating, but if you love it overall and you really enjoy it, then it makes it worth it. And if you don't, it's not worth it. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I just want to make sure that everyone listening knows that it's okay if you don't love it. And that's also a reason you shouldn't try to do it. <laughs> right. You wrote a book. Yeah. How did you how did you come to writing that book? And how did you just, you know, were you writing your thoughts the entire time while you were on this trail? And how did you progress from have these thoughts and then mm -hmm. going into writing a book? Yeah. So every adventure that I've ever done, I've kept a daily blog or a daily journal of, and it's all on my website, freeoutside.com. So I had uh, all these notes from 252 days of hiking the calendar year triple crown. And did you bring a journal? No, I did it on my phone. So I did, typed nice. it in notes and then I scheduled them all to hit kind of in semi real time as I was hiking. But yeah, and then I got to the end and it just became, well, it's pretty intuitively set up to work through each day and um, have to try to write a book. And while I might've thought it would only take a few months, it took, I don't know, two and a half or three years to actually do it. That. But yeah, I think it was beyond having a book, it was really good for reliving kind of all the events that happen and as you read through a blog post, um, personally, I can tell like how I was feeling, how things were going. And it's like, oh yeah, that happened then too. So it's been really good for putting perspective back in and knowing where each little event happened and not letting things slip through the cracks and stuff. So it was pretty therapeutic as well. Although it took a long time. Writing a book is pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. It goes through a whole editing process and, and yeah. all that and and whatnot so <laughs> that's yeah. so cool that's cool because i was wondering how you did it you know if you were writing it down every day yeah and i'd say anyone that 
does any adventures, doesn't have to be hiking or anything, even just having that moment of reflection at the end of it is so good to relive the day. And you really get to emphasize to yourself what you enjoyed, what you hated, what you want to do next and things like that. It just really helps because you can, it's just like running a marathon. You can be like, wow, ran a marathon that went really well. Or you can actually think about it and be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have had that banana at aid station (laughs) at mile 16 or something. (laughs) So it's just like, you can really dive into improving if you kind of self-analyze each, each day, each event, each chapter. Right. Oh, damn. That's crazy. Cause I, I, one day I'm going to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Awesome. We'll see what it's about. I have so many different ideas of, of the books that I want to write, but it's very inspiring to meet you and then see your journey and hear about it. And you, read it, you wrote it so well. Like I was like right away, right from the beginning, I was hearing you and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm totally into this book. Like I love <laughs> the way that this is written and your thoughts. It felt like I was there. So thanks. It's, it's, yeah, I uh, think it's awesome. The only advice is to, even if it's not going to become the book, is just to try to do it consistently in the in the writing process. And um, I think, oh, I can't remember who said it, but there's a quote out there. It's like the first draft of anything is crap. So yes. well, in a more colorful way. But yeah, it's it's not a big deal to uh, write something that's not good because everyone's first draft is, is not good. Right. <laughs> exactly. So. Do you have any tips and tricks for Jeff out there who's sitting there going, I want to do the PCT or I want to do the, the triple crown one day? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is if you want to do it enough, um, it's prioritizing your life. And maybe that's not doing it in a month or a year. Maybe it's doing it in five years, but it's starting to prioritize your your life so that you can do it. And that will lead to sacrifices in so many other areas. But if that's something you want to do enough, then there are ways to figure out how to do it. So, And I also will say that it does come with quite a few sacrifices just in other realms of your life. So it's starting to prioritize putting it on the horizon and just figuring out how to get from where you are today to where you can go after whatever goal you want to. What are some of those sacrifices that you feel like you've given up in order to pursue your passion? Yeah. uh, A lot of growth um, in the career realm, although Mm -hmm. I've kind of pivoted a little bit there, but uh, And then relationships, it's hard to develop relationships in one area or um, especially like I lived in Denver for five years and I have friends and soon became like, oh, are you in town this weekend or are you climbing a mountain or are you like going on a trip or something? So everything does come at a cost and with sacrifices. So it is trying to be really proactive about maintaining the relationships you want or finding a way to further your career or set up your career. I know some through hikers have talked with their boss like two or three years ahead of time and been like in 2023, I would like to do this five month trip. Like how can we work towards that and things like that. So there are ways to do it, but it, it isn't easy to not have cell service for the better part of most days during a five month long adventure. 
and it's good to be aware of that. Like those are the challenges, but damn, the rewards are amazing. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yep. Very amazing. Where are you going to next? What's like, what's next? What do you want to do? Yeah. I, so given the, the pandemic currently, who really knows, but on yeah. the horizon, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Barkley marathons. So no. there's a, there's a good documentary on um, Amazon Prime and another good one on YouTube. And it's the hardest ultra marathon in the world, or at least one of the hardest. Only 15 people have finished it in 50 years, and it's really hard to get in. So I've been in it the last two years, although it was canceled last year. So okay. I will be attempting that in mid-March. It's 160 miles or about 150 miles with no gps map and compass only no trail you have to finish it in under 60 hours and it has about sixty thousand feet of elevation gain oh my god yeah i would recommend anyone interested look up there's a really accessible and easy one to see on youtube it's called uh where dreams go to die okay i'm writing that down right now because i love i love those types of, and, and you know that i do documentaries um, yeah, I think I did see that. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm doing a documentary about 11 blind hikers summiting Mount Baldy. Oh, okay. I saw that on your website, I believe, at yeah. least the thumbnail of it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm literally like on the, the first rough draft of it. So wow, that's, there. Yeah. How long will that be? Do you think it'll be a feature? It's a full feature okay, right now. So. It's like a three hour film that I need to cut down to 90 minutes. Wow. <laughs> a lot of footage. So yeah. I'm in, in the middle of cutting it down and making it uh, digestible. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's awesome though. I mean, that's such a cool story, especially you take a very relatable peak like Baldy and then you put in this less relatable blind hikers and oh, then yeah. you just, combine the challenges that other people that yeah. have climbed the baldy are just like yeah that's a tough mountain i can't imagine a, being blind <laughs> it's it's a pretty tough mountain for people that don't hike right like for yeah, just yep. regular people in la who's like i'm gonna climb mount baldy it's really it's pretty tough because you, you start dealing with elevation and then on top mm -hmm. of that they're blind so it's just so it's so much longer it is such a slow and grueling oh, hike yeah. because everything Every little rock, every little tiny thing is a big deal. It's a big oh, deal. Oh, yeah. So wow. it's like they're constantly talking to their, they have sight guides <laughs> and their sight guides are like, there's a rock on the right. There's a little pebble on the left. There's this, hold on to the, the ridge here because it's a drop off on the left. And they're just like, oh, okay. And they're just like looking. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I've, I've done a little bit of running with, uh, uh, blind ultra runner and it's the same type of thing it's it's so wild how every little thing even like a couple inch rays in the pavement is yep. it's oh it's a insane. big deal yeah it's huge oh so gosh. that's awesome I can't wait to see that yeah I'm excited I'm excited can't wait to like <laughs> till it's finished I've been working on it for a while so thank goodness that's awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay what is the one, we're almost finished, by the way, so we're almost to the end. What is the one interesting item that you take with you when you go through hiking or summiting a mountain? Yeah, good question. Um, hmm. Well, 
yeah, I think I'd have to go with duct tape or some type of strong tape because it is so versatile. I've used duct tape to make a spoon out of a tent stake to patch a tent when I burned a hole in it to tape back together trekking poles that were broken to for blisters, for wounds, for basically anything like that that uh or I've even used it on my socks so that um cacti thorns didn't stick in them so deep it's it's such a versatile item that I think I have to go with with that one (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna start bringing duct tape or gorilla tape wherever I go now (laughs) yeah it's when you just think about it it's so good for everything (laughs) it's true you can make stuff out of it that's the thing a spoon yeah Yep. yep. (laughs) Okay. So is there a piece of life advice that you would give to a younger you? Um, yeah, I would just say, focus on the things that you're passionate about and figure out how to make them a bigger part of your life. I think that I tried to do that, but maybe went through the motions for a while where it's like, okay, it's not working. I'll go back to kind of the, the long hours corporate job to, to make more money. So in the future I can, I can do something. But during some of those periods, I wasn't working towards trying to make it a bigger part of my life. And while I'm very happy with how things have gone, I think it's easy to lose focus of those things you're passionate about because if they're not a part of your life regularly, you kind of forget about them. So I think it's, it's huge to focus on where you find enjoyment and find out how to get more of that enjoyment. I love that. And I think that is important for sure, you know, to just prioritizing. Yeah. In reframing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So last question, where can we find you? Where can we find all of the things? The major place is freeoutside.com is my website. And then it's just iterations of that everywhere else. So there's a free outside Facebook page. There's on Instagram, it's at the free outside and at the free outside for Twitter. And then I've started a new website with some other backpacking writers um, called backpackingroutes.com where we highlight um, a lot of the trails that we kind of talked about in the beginning that are shorter that are like a hundred miles that you can through hike or 40 miles that you can through hike that are so much more accessible for people who want to just get into backpacking or they want or they love their career and they aren't going to be able to do a pacific crest trail and some of those are just as beautiful and bang for their buck is even higher than some of the most well-known trails so we've been we started that just the pandemic came up and it was like, well, this seems like a great time to start a website. So we've been compiling a bunch of routes on there. So there's some great resources and ideas for anyone who wants to go on a backpacking trip. And uh, my book is called Free Outside. It's, it's amazing everywhere. <laughs> Thanks. It's amazing. And yeah, I think I think that's pretty good. I mean, I'm Jeff Garmeyer, so I don't think there's any other Jeff Garmeyers. You could just Google that and it would lead to anything I'm forgetting. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Roaming the Earth podcast, stories and adventures of people who are jet setters, nomads, and explorers. This is Drea Castro signing off. Join us again next time. Stay wild. 
If you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe, don't forget to subscribe, share it to your friends, and follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.